The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. You know, I can only think of, um, I was trying to think through this morning how many times I've been in a fight in my life. And I can only think of two times that I've been in a fight in my life. If you don't count the uh, scraps with my older brother, which they don't count because we knew, we always knew we loved each other. But, uh, so the only two times I can think of uh, fighting, once was in a grade 9 or 10, and just before, uh, just before the homeroom bell went, and we were playing basketball in Gym C, and this guy, Eric, was just messing with everybody and, and you know, just throwing confusion in, grabbing people, tripping people. And finally, he did something to me. I turned around, and I just slapped him with my back of my hand right across the face. And, and then I felt really bad because at that time in my life, I still was sort of getting to know the Lord and walk with him. And, and so then I, I was thinking of that turn the other cheek verse. And so I, I uh, finally did that, of course. Everybody gathered around, fight, fight, fight. No, I didn't want to fight him. So I said, okay, Eric, I slugged you, slugged me. But he got way more of a slug in than I. <laughs> so I don't, still don't think it was fair. Uh, but anyway, bell rang, we went off to homeroom. The other time was when, uh, just about two or three years later, uh, now in Hanover, Ontario, where I played hockey, everybody was in house league until uh, midget was kind of when all the guys just said, forget this, I'm not going to be a good player, hockey player or whatever. And so, but I went on to juvenile. Okay, so in juvenile hockey, there was no house league. And so we played other towns. And uh, this particular evening, we had gone to Durham, which was about 10 miles from Hanover. And we were playing hockey, and I'll tell you, it was a rough game. And at one point in the corner, I don't know what happened to me, but we dropped the gloves with this guy, and we were about to go at it. And when I looked at it later, I was thinking, when we were in the penalty box and I was looking over at this guy, I was so glad that the referee broke it up. Because <laughs> he would have hammered me, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not much of a fighter, I think. I wonder, do, do we fight in our relationship with God, for our relationship with God. I think, I think the things that you take seriously, you will fight for. And I think if you examine the priorities of your life, I'm not a fighter, but I think if anybody messed with my wife or my children, I would, I would become a fighter pretty quickly. And this morning, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit again, I'm going to ask you to Take off the, the lovely little glasses with fruit trees growing and so on. I want you to put on some boxing gloves because I think that's where this is going to go. And so join, join me in, this morning in looking at some of the things we're going to look at. John Stott calls the nine fruit of the Spirit, these nine Christian graces which seem to portray a Christian's attitude to God, other people, and to self. And so that's what he does. He, he divides it into the three, three, and three. But before we get into some of the, the scripture I want to preach this morning, I'd like to play a little game with you, and, and I'd like to play the game of opposites, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a word, and then you're going to respond with the opposite word, first opposite word that comes to your mind. Okay, you ready? Opposites. Okay, so let's start with uh, big. Good, okay. Fast. Okay. Um, good. Light. Oh, lighter darkness. Heavier darkness. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Hate. Okay. 
joy, sadness, sorrow, peace. <laughs> you know what? I, I went on, on a webpage this past week that gave me 300, over 300, words that were opposites of peace. There was conflict, hostility, animosity, disagreement. But the one that was at the top of the list was war. Opposite of peace was war. War is defined as the use of violence or force between two or more state or groups to resolve a matter of dispute. War is symbolized by guns and spears. Are, we're going to proceed on this uh, back at the back there. Uh, war is portrayed with the guns and spears and skulls. Peace is portrayed with uh, a dove carrying an olive branch, a poppy, this, this you know, sign peace. And sometimes the tranquility, pictures of calm uh, lakes or meadows or peaceful sunsets and so on. In the Old Testament, the word that was given for peace was shalom. And shalom is this idea of complete well-being. It's a uh, uh, harmonious relationships. Everything is in order, in, inwardly, outwardly. Pastor Alf used the analogy in Shalom of the calm that is in the eye of the storm, kind of like the funnel, funnels that hit, hit Manitoba. Um, and uh, peace is not the absence of pain or problem. Peace is, is something you can have even in the midst of problem. Remember when we were going through the book of Colossians several years ago, and I described to you how Paul talks uh, about both kinds of prayer, the kind of circumstantial praying and the kind of providence praying. So in other words, what Paul teaches in Colossians is that when we go to prayer, sometimes we're praying circumstantially, God, change these circumstances for me. So, so our prayer is kind of like this, isn't it? It's kind of like, well, sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad. And then sometimes God asks us to pray prayers of providence, which says, no, God said, I've brought this into your life. I have decided I'm not going to take it away yet. And so pray, instead of saying, Lord, change the circumstances for me, you're praying, Lord, change me for the circumstances. Get me ready for the circumstances. Of course, we tend to want to pray the circumstantial praying, praying more than we want to pray the providence praying. And yet, I believe that we don't understand what God asks of us if we only pray the one kind of prayer. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 in a moment, and we're going to look at the passage called, uh, in, fact, in verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will be with you. But that is a conditional promise that is determined by you having to fight for your peace. And so I want to put that as a, a kind of a, a groundwork before we get into it. And before we go there, again, conceptually, what I've asked you to think of this morning is fighting for peace. Just like you need to maybe fight for love or fight for joy or fight for peace. And I think that we lose sight of the whole wealth of knowledge that the Old Testament can give us if we don't understand that a lot of the wars and battles and bloodshed of the Old Testament is meant to help us understand something very important. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we read a scripture that says, For whatever was written 
in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. For example, I read this past week in my Bible reading uh, a verse in Judges chapter 3, verse 30. It says this, That day Moab was subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. The land had peace for 80 years. It means simply that Israel was not fighting for 80 years. Another one in chapter 5, verse 31, after Deborah is the judge in Israel, and they have this incredible battle where 900,000 Canaanites come against 10,000 Israelites, and God gives them this victory over this battle. It says, and the land had peace for 40 years. And I think that one of the things we need to understand is that the Old Testament Scriptures have a wealth of, of helpfulness for our Christian walk today if we understand how to just substitute our names in for Israel. In fact, a couple of books that I would commend to you are by Major Ian Thomas. One is called The Saving Life of Christ, and one is called The Indwelling Life of Christ. Major Ian Thomas was the founder of Torchbearers Ministry, Cape and Ray Schools, and uh, he wrote a book, the particularly one, The Saving Life of Christ, is a great where, place to start. If you want to understand how it is that Old Testament Scripture can apply so much to your Christian life. As he goes into it, he just unpacks the fact that just as we were sla are slaves to sin, just as we talked about in Galatians these last months, so also Israel was a slave nation in, Israel, in, in Egypt for 400 and some years. And God, through Moses, brought out a deliverer. Christ is our deliverer. And we come out of slavery to sin, and we end up wandering in this wilderness as Christians. And so many of the hymnology that, that we've learned over the years talks about crossing the Jordan into the promised land being the time when we die and leave this body aside, and then we go to heaven. But that's not the way the Scriptures present that. See, the fact is, is that this whole Christian life is learning to enter into the promises of God, learning to appropriate the fruit of the Spirit, learning to walk in the Spirit. That's taking the land, just as Joshua does in the book of Joshua and Judges and so on. And so there's so much to be learned in the Scriptures. And let me just read to you one more passage that, that I think is pertinent. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 says this, these are the nations the Lord left in Canaan to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. What? God left them there because people in Israel hadn't experienced war? What does God want? War? goes on in verse 2 to say this. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who have had no previous battle experience. You see, God was wanting His people to understand that they would always have to be vigilant, that there would always be some enemy lurking around Canaan to bring them down. And similarly, as we translate into the New Testament, we understand that, that the Christian life is, first of all, a fight. And it's fighting for God's love to be in us and fighting for our joy to be in God and fighting for the peace of Christ to rule and guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And so, even as we think about the fruit of the Spirit this morning, I believe that it is a picture of fighting to be able to be found in this fruit-bearing season of our lives.
We must not think somehow that because our parents were Christians that we are automatically Christians, that because our grandparents were Christians, we are Christian. Because we attend a Christian church, we are Christian. We cannot think that somehow we can somehow institutionally be connected to Jesus. If we're not organically connected to Jesus, by faith in Him and trusting Him, we are not connected to Jesus. That's why the, the, the imagery of the Scriptures is vines and trees and roots and fruit. Because without you take a branch off a vine and put it aside, it will not bear any, any fruit. You must be connected to the vine to have fruit in your life. This is what Paul is talking about. It's not hard to understand. And so on a week-by-week -week basis, if we have just ceased to really organically trust in Jesus and look to Him for things and stop the things that He says are not good for us and so on, we cannot expect that we will have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And this is true with peace as well. And so let's take our Bibles and if you want to listen along as I read Philippians chapter 4, the passage that Josh and Gears referred to, in Philippians chapter 4, and if you're able to stand with me, would you do so now as I read the Word of God to us? Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Uodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to say four things this morning from this passage, and they're in an outline. First of all, to stand firm and experience the peace of God, we need to learn to agree together in the Lord. A lot of, a lot of peace will be robbed in relationships. Secondly, rejoice together in the Lord. Thirdly, pray together in the Lord. And finally, practice the peace of God together in the Lord. So let's start by looking at verses 1 and 2. He says that he entreats. Paul says, I entreat. I urge these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord and to help these women because they've labored with me in the gospel, Paul says. We don't know much about these two women. We do not know what it is that they were at odds with each other on. We do not know what they disagreed about. But we know that clearly one of them was not wrong and the other one was not right. 
It was not that kind of a situation, or Paul would have corrected it, because that's what Paul does in his letters. He corrects the error, and he confronts the one who's in error, and he, he makes things right. But in this case, he doesn't say, tell that Syntyche to smarten up, because Yodi is right. No, he doesn't do that. He, something is going on in the church at Philippi, and, and, and something's not working. Um, I forgot to show you the place in Philippi. Pat and I were there a few years ago uh, where Paul was supposedly held in prison in Philippi. And, and uh, Philippi was a colony that, that Rome had in Greece. And so he was very much garrisoned about with Roman soldiers. And so he would have understood this guarding and this warfare mentality. And Paul is saying here that these two women that are at odds with each other, that are not agreeing, they should learn to agree together in the Lord. He reminds them that when they can't agree on something that's more superficial, go back down the mountain trail where they first converged or, or, and, and met up and, and separated and, and then start walking again. That's a picture, I think, of what these two women had to do. Go back down to where you agree in the Lord and then start walking again. Because our unity is not in so many of the things that we associate about in the church. Our unity is not found in what you think about women in ministry, or what you think about end times, what you think about the Genesis account. You know, our unity is found in the Holy Spirit, in, the, in Jesus Christ. Our unity is in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, Paul says in, in Ephesians 4. And so Paul is, are, is urging these two women to agree together in the Lord. We will not agree on many aspects of ministry at White Ridge Baptist Church. And so we need to remember where our peace will be found. Urge these women to agree in the Lord. So do not expect the peace of God to rule in your hearts if you are hanging on to an opinion, if you're hanging on to disrespect towards someone, if you're hanging on to some kind of an attitude that is the, the one of us must be wrong kind of attitude, when actually maybe it's not that kind of an issue, you will not have the peace of God. If you are too proud to just agree to disagree, if you're too proud to not pursue healthy relationship, you'll not experience the fruit of peace. You need to fight to maintain healthy relationship. You need to fight for those things, whether it's in a marriage, in a family life, or whether it's in the church itself. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Romans 12, 18. And so that's the first point. Agree together in the Lord to have peace. Secondly, rejoice together in the Lord. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice and then he says, let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at the center of these verses. Twice he says, rejoice in him, find your joy in him. And then he says that the Lord is near or at hand. He either means that the Lord is really soon coming back or that idea that the Lord is in your, in your conflict. He's with you in every thought of your life. And the word reasonableness is actually untranslatable in English with one word because it's a Greek word that has a complexity of meaning. And so the word gentleness or reasonableness might be used, but this word, which I can hardly pronounce in Greek, 
means someone who is willing to yield their own rights for the sake of consideration of someone else's rights. That's what gentleness or reasonableness means. It's the idea of a selfless humility that is gently forbearing. It's like, I'm not getting my way in this. I'm not happy with this, but I am going to put aside my rights, my privileges, my entitlements, and I'm going to prefer you, brother or sister. Let your forbearance be known. Let it be seen. The idea in this scripture is Paul is saying, let, let this people of God that you fellowship with Sunday by Sunday, week by week, let them be known and seen by the outside world as a group of people who are determined that they are going to find their joy in God and not in agreeing on every point with each other. Let them be seen as the kind of people that will lay down their opinions and they'll lay down their rights in order for the sake of the kingdom and for things to move ahead. Let them be the kind of people that will humble themselves and prefer one another in love. And you will not experience the peace of God in your life as the fruit of the Spirit if you are not guarding your heart and your mind as you do that. If you are feeling that you need to guard your ego, guard your opinion, and guard your pride more than the peace of God in your heart, then you will not experience the peace of God. And so often, you know, the freedom comes when we finally let go, isn't it true? The freedom comes when we finally let go of our opinions and of our, our having to fix something. And we say, God, I, I can't do this. You know, you cannot do what only God can do, and God will not do what He expects you to do. I love that little phrase in the Chronicles of Narnia where C.S. Lewis is talking about Aslan returning, and he says this. He says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, winter, or we shall see spring again. You see, if you think you need to fix every problem that will come up in relationships, in the church, if you think that you need to resolve everything that's a, of disagreement, if you think that you can only hang out and fellowship and get along with people that are just like you in whether it is political persuasion or doctrinal belief or whatever, I mean, if you think that's the only way you can have friendship, you've painted your corner, your circle so small you've really expressed a certain amount of arrogance. And you will not experience the peace of Christ. So fight for peace. Fight in prayer and fight in relationships to say, I'm going to respect this person. I'm going to treat them honorably. I'm going to put aside my, my ideas for a moment and see if I can really listen to what they have to say. You know, someone said once that before we ever offend someone else's feelings, before I ever hurt your feelings, I have already hurt your values. You see, feelings get hurt because someone is stepping on a value that you, you have put high and maybe they have put low. 
And it's not an intentional hurting of feelings. It's, it's that, that you have a different value system. And if you don't start talking about those values, then you're going to be at odds a lot of times. Let's move on to the third point. In verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A leading physician in the United States several years ago said this in an article. He said that over half of the patients who see doctors in the United States could cure themselves if they could overcome worry, stress, and anxiety on a daily basis. Many of the things that we worry about don't even come to pass, right? Many of the things that we worry about don't even come to pass. The story is told of a woman who, who uh, asked her pastor one day if it, if it was okay that if God heard her prayer on the small things of her life. <laughs> and I love the response. He just said, uh, ma'am, do you think there's anything in your life that would be considered big? To God? I mean, it's, it's kind of odd, eh? That, well, God, of course, He's our Father. He's a good, good Father. That's what we just sang about. And there's nothing small or big in your life. He just loves you. And He wants you to bring everything to Him. Trust in Him. One time, Pat and I were at a retreat, and, and the first announcement that got up, somebody got up, and the beginning of the weekend, Friday evening, they got up and they said, we want you to know that we have people here that are praying for you. We have people here that are feeding you all weekend. We have people here that are planning for the schedule and they're doing everything. And then he ended by saying, we even have people here worrying for you. So you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> the problem is I can't take on your worries really and you can't take on mine. We can kind of. It's good to be able to share some of that with each other, but, but we have one who can take on all of our concerns. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. He says in, in this scripture, Paul says very clearly that we are to cast our cares on him. He says that in everything by prayer and petition, do not be anxious but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests. Present your requests to God. I, I honestly, I know we all know this, but I honestly think that in the heat of the moment, often we don't do it. We don't just take a moment and say, God, I'm, I'm just stressed about this. We don't do that. I was uh, looking in notes from an older sermon a long time ago and uh, just... Uh, it was in January of 1979, that's 40 years ago, when I took a plane from Toronto to Winnipeg, that's the old airport, and, um, and I ended up sleeping overnight on a bench in the airport, and the next morning, someone from Winnipeg Bible College came and picked me up in a van. That's what's Providence College now. And when I got to Winnipeg Bible College, I didn't know anybody. I didn't even know Gary Schellenberg at that time. Though he had been there by then another 40 years, I think. But uh, <laughs> not quite, not quite. I was 19 years old, lonely, and I didn't know a soul. And I, I got in, I checked into my room at Providence House in Otterburn, Manitoba. And I go in, and there's, the walls are blank. 
except for one three-by-five card on the wall above the desk. And it was from 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I just felt like a former student was directed by God to leave that one three-by-five card on the wall to just give this 19-year-old from Ontario some peace. God is with me. And so Philippians 4.6 is based on this displacement principle. And you understand it. You've been told, okay, don't you want, I don't want you to think about the number three. Stop thinking about the number three. So how do you stop thinking about the number three? Well, now I'm asking you to think about the number seven. You know, you get that. Displacement principle is that the jar is full of air until it's full of water, right? And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's just saying, let constant prayer replace constant worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead exchange that in prayer and supplication. Present your request to God. And if you do that, he says, the verse 7 is, and the God of peace, the peace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But you need to fight for that. It doesn't come naturally. It's not, a, it's not a message here that says, don't worry, be happy, like the song. That's not the message here. You've got to fight for your joy in God. You've got to fight to not let other joys enter. You've got to fight for love in God. You can't let other loves and affections enter your heart. You've got to fight for peace in God, too. The fruit of the Spirit will not grow automatically unless it grows organically because you're in relationship. And you fight for that relationship. And then finally... Paul talks in verse 7 to 9 about practicing the peace of God together. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and honorable, just and pure, lovely, commendable, anything of excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. There's the battle. The battleground. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about the battleground being in the mind. That's why he says we take captive. That's a, that's a warfare terminology. We take captive. We take prisoner. Every thought. We make it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so all through the day, you're, you're getting into anxious thoughts. You're getting into things that are not praiseworthy and honorable and pure and right. You just take that captive and you say, I'm gonna. the fighting goes on in the mind, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? He says, practice the things that you've seen in me. You know, we spend so much time worrying about the things of our lives. Every time I go to Brady Landfill site, and I, they're so well organized now. When I first arrived in Winnipeg, they were kind of, yeah, just throw it wherever, you know. But, uh, and they get the recyclables, every metal and glass, and, and they got the brush and the... It's so well organized. But every time I go there, I look at, and every item, an old bicycle, a window, a perfectly good door, whatever, they all tell a story, don't they? Every one of them tells a story. And uh, we spend so much time on things, don't we? The material world that we live in. We spend so much time purchasing, cleaning, fixing, maintaining, and then replacing, and and I have to ask myself, as I get older, I think, am I enslaved to this thing? Or is it, is it serving me or am I serving it? Every time I buy something new, but again, it's a, simple, it's a simple lesson, but it's in a 
is it a very important lesson for a materialistic culture, a consumer culture like we live in? And that is the lesson of simply that you will not experience the peace of God if you are constantly driven in the material, physical world to take care of things and fix things and, and pursue things. You can't. If you're not going to disengage here to seek the inner world where Christ and you fellowship in your heart and take that time alone with God, then you will not experience the peace of God. So consumed with work and with pleasure that the unseen things are neglected. And so in, in a summary form then, I, I just want to say that to stand firm and to fight for peace and experience the peace of God, we need to learn to agree together in the Lord. We won't agree together on lots of things, but we must agree together in what is important. Secondly, we must learn to rejoice together in the Lord, find joy in Him. We need to learn to pray together in the Lord instead of letting anxiety and worry and fret about things, but learn to pray together in the Lord, especially with each other. Whether we're praying about the sale of 201 Skirfield as a body of believers, whether we're in small groups and we're praying for someone who's got cancer, whether we're praying for someone's child who's not saved, not a believer in Christ, whether we're praying for someone who, who is really wanting to find a spouse, what, whatever we're praying for, it says, let the worry, let the anxiety about that be replaced. And then finally, practicing the peace of God. Shalom in the midst of in the midst of the storm. Peace in the midst of the storm. So, so I'm going to ask you three questions um, as we conclude, and then I'm going to get the worship team to, to join me up front. But so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask if you're a fighter in the good sense. I'm going to ask you, are you a fighter? Do you fight for peace? Do you fight to keep control of your thoughts when anxiety and worry start to creep in? On a daily, hour-by-hour -hour basis, do you fight to take captive your thoughts? Secondly, do you fight to keep peace in relationships? Do you know the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction in the flesh to having a problem with someone in a relationship is to talk to everybody else but the one you have a problem with? Do you fight to maintain a respect for that individual, to honor that individual, to truly listen to that individual? Do you go to them personally? Because do you, does, it, does it matter to you? Do relationships matter enough to you to fight for them, to humble yourself, to be reasonable and gentle? And then finally, do you fight to keep the clutter of living in a materialistic world? Do you fight to keep that at bay so that you can experience the inner and deep peace of the awareness of God, the presence of God, day by day? May that be our goal. Amen. Father, I thank you that when we sing to you out loud, when we pray to you out loud, just like right this moment, and also when we pray to you silently in our hearts as we walk into our week, as we walk into our workplace, as we walk back into relationships, in all of those times, I thank you that the line of communication is always open, that you always hear us. And so, Lord, I pray for us as we go from this place, from this 
protected place, this, this holy place where we can sing and, and learn and pray in safety and in peace. But we go out into the world where not everybody around us sees you the same and, or see us the same. I pray that you would help us even then to continue to pray to you, the God who hears us, to continue to trust in you, the God that gives us peace in the midst of every circumstance, whatever storm we can imagine. I pray that you would help us to do that because we know that you will never let us down as we seek you that way. Thank you, God. Bless each one as we go from here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.